Genesis chapter 3, we're in a series right now called Choose Life. And we've been talking about the power of our choices and how important our choices are and the effect that they have on our life and actually on others and on this world. And uh, where's Cameron at this morning? He was just on guitar. Where'd Cameron go? Did he step out for a minute? What? Oh, he's over in youth this morning. Okay, well, I'm going to have to use another volunteer this morning. I didn't tell him I was going to uh, do this, but we, we used, we, I talked about a portion of this in the Revolve yesterday with the youth, and I want to use the same element for us this morning. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we started looking at this a little bit ago. Remember God made man and woman, and he made them in his image, and he made us a lot like him. We're like him in so many facets. We look like God in the sense that God has arms and eyes and a mouth and ears and legs and feet, and all those things are talked about in Scripture. In other words, you're not going to get to heaven and God's like a zebra or something. You know, he, he looks like us, and, or rather, you know, we look like him. He created us in his image, and... Uh, God has a beard also. Don't ever forget that one. That's a very important point. God has a great beard. It's talked about in Scripture as well. Matter of fact, they plucked Jesus' beard out when he was on the cross. I mean, it's just it plays a very central part to the gospel. But anyway, if you don't have a beard... Now, I'm, I'm not going to get too sidetracked on that. But anyway, he made us in his image, and we do look a lot like God. I mean, we all look very different. God would have his own unique look, but in form and structure. But the, also the way we were made in the image of God was in our function and in our faculties, in our decision-making, the way that we speak, talk, love, connect. is very similar to God and how God is. And one of the most powerful things that we have is the gift of what we call free will, the, the gift to choose one way or other. You can choose anything you want. No one can make you do anything. And I mean, even to the point of somebody putting a gun to your head... You, you say, well, I had no choice. They put a gun to my head. Actually, you still had a choice. You could choose to die. That's a real choice. And many people actually have made that choice in this life, on this earth. They have, they have chosen, I would rather die than do what you're telling me to do. And they've chosen that. That's a choice. Because no one can make you do anything. You have to choose it. And that's a gift that God gave you. And look, God, just please understand, God set it up that way. He, he made you that way. He wanted you to have that choice. He didn't want to control you. He didn't want you to be like Siri on your phone, you know, with like an illusion of a personality. Siri has no personality, you know. You ask her to tell you a joke, it's pretty sad. But, you know, she has no personality because she's not real. She, she's a program. She has an illusion of being real. And it's really sad that some people have like relationships, you know, with AI, like they have some kind of real relationship. They don't. It's, it's a farce. It's not real. And God didn't want that for us. He didn't want us to have an illusion of being like him or an illusion of having free will, which is why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the garden in the first place. There had to be a real choice. If it weren't there and man couldn't actually choose to do evil, it wouldn't have been a real choice. So it was there because God wanted free moral beings that could choose to love him, choose not to. Could choose to obey, could choose not to. That was, that was how he created us. And you've got to understand how important that power is that you have. It is the most powerful thing that you have as a human being is your ability to choose. Satan knows that. He knew that from the beginning 
And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, notice what happens. Now the serpent was more crafty, could say deceptive, tricky, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now Satan is impersonating a serpent here. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now notice what he's doing. Satan has a, a goal and a purpose for Eve and Adam. He wants them to reject God, disobey God, and he knows all the fallout that's going to come as a result of that. But notice that he cannot actually, he cannot actually make her do his will. Like he, and this is why he's talking to her. If you, if you read this and you go, why is Satan talking to Eve? Well, he's talking to her because he has no other strategy. There's nothing he can do. He can't physically make her eat of this tree. So what he has to do is he has to put, he has to put words... In her mind that she translates as information and she processes that information and she thinks about it. And then at a certain point, her will will choose. And that's the only power Satan has. It's still the only power that Satan has. Satan can't do anything in this earth without human beings making a choice, making a decision. So the only weapon that he has here is to put information in her mind craftily. Deceptively, tricky, even lies, put it in her mind, and now she has to choose. That's literally the only only thing that he can do, is he could just talk to you. That's it. Satan can't make you do anything. All he can do is give you information that you make a choice. You remember back in the day, you would see little those little cartoons where you got like the devil on one shoulder, you know, and the angel on one shoulder, and they're talking. And then there's you in the middle, and you're like listening. You're like, oh, that's a good point. And you, li- oh, that's well, that's a better point. And and you go back and forth. And then you, but basically, what you see is you see, you see God's way, you see Satan's way, and then you're the deciding factor. God's not going to make you not eat. Satan's not going to make you eat. You're in the middle, and you get to choose. You get to be the deciding factor. And listen, everything that's happened in your life up to this point has been a result of this process. Now, I understand there are things that happen outside of our control, bad things that happen, obviously. But I'm talking about the decisions that you've made, who you've married, how many kids you had, where you went to school, where you lived, what kind of job you had. All that's been the the largest part of everything that's happened in all of our lives has been a result of this process. We had information and we made a decision. Sometimes we made really bad decisions because we just didn't have very good information. Sometimes we believed lies and made decisions. But it still comes back to this ability and this power to choose. Another lie that Satan will try to get you to believe, though, is that actually most of the things that have happened in your life have been outside of your control. You've been lucky, or you've been unlucky, or other people have just treated you unfairly, or God hasn't been faithful, or the devil has sabotaged you, or on and on people. People didn't see my worth, people didn't see my true potential, or on and on and on. Lies and excuses to get us to believe that it was something outside the power of our of our own choices that led us to where we're at in life. And this goes good or bad. Hey, if you've got a good marriage and you've raised good kids and you've been in church and you've got a good job, there's credit to be given there too because you've made good decisions. A lot of it would be because all you did was just yield to God. You yielded to his word. You trusted him. You followed him. And yeah, there are results that come because of that. So please notice that 
notice from the very beginning Satan's strategy. He could not make Eve do anything. His only strategy was, I'm going to say some words to her and hope that she believes my words over God's words and that she makes a decision to ruin her own life. Also think about this. The decision that they made is still affecting you today. Think about how that decision reverberated throughout history and every human being born on the planet from that point forward has been affected by Adam and Eve's decision to eat of that tree and to bring a curse and to bring sin and to bring death and to bring pain on this planet. When you get there, you can thank them. You can let them know. Thanks, Eve. Appreciate it. Now, Adam too. Adam was guilty also. Both of them were guilty. Thanks a lot. Yeah, everything we've experienced bad on this planet is a result of that, if you really understand the Bible. And Jesus' whole, the whole reason Jesus had to come to was redeem all that. So, don't believe the lie that your choices only affect you. That's a lie. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how personal you think it is. I don't care how hidden you think it is. I don't care how secret you think it is. Your choices are not only affecting you, they're affecting everyone. Let me tell you why. Because even when you're sinning in secret and you're destroying your life, you think, oh, it doesn't hurt anybody but me. No, it hurts everybody you were supposed to be leading. It hurts everybody that you were supposed to be better than you are for. No, it doesn't just affect you. That's a lie. And all of these things, and Satan has so many strategies... All of the reasons people make really bad choices are because we have believed lies. Satan, through, through media, through our own mind, through the culture, puts lies in our mind that we can either choose to obey or not obey. Now, the real power of choices in our life is in their stacking nature. In other words, how they stack upon each other. For example, th this choice by Adam and Eve, it was an instant, instant result, you know, instantly devastating. But really, most choices aren't like that. We know we can have choices like that in our life where we make just one choice and that one choice has massive consequences. But that's not generally the case with choices. Generally, with choices, they, they, they're actually very small and they're incremental and they stack upon each other. For example, if you choose to come to church every Sunday, well, one Sunday is probably not going to have just some massive result. But choosing to come every Sunday over several years, you're going to look up and there's going to be a big change because choices stack in nature. Same thing if you go to the gym, same thing if you eat right, same thing if you read one book a month, lots of good habits. They stack upon each other and one good habit, one, one good decision is not just going to revolutionize your life. I mean, we know that. But the power of, the real power of choices is in their stacking nature, how they stack and they chain together. But this is also a problem, right? Because we're impatient. And so you do good, you do a few things good, and you're like, well, and then you get tired and, and you, make, you start making bad choices. Yeah, but the real power in choices is making good choices consistently over a long period of time. And that's really actually the definition of faithfulness. To make good decisions consistently over a long period of time. If somebody made a, if you made a good choice of coming to church this morning, and, and this is like your first time to come or you, you haven't been in months, no one could look at you and say, oh, you're faithful 
at coming to church. Because one time, that doesn't mean faithful. It's consistent over a long period of time. Then someone would judge you faithful, right? That's because that's how the choices stack. For example, if you have a habit of reading your Bible every day, well, that's going to stack over time, and that's going to have a profound impact on you and everyone around you. The Scripture understands this principle in uh, several ways, but Proverbs chapter 13, 11 mentions it concerning wealth. Uh, Solomon said this concerning wealth, Proverbs 13, 11. He said, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. You say this principle is at work. He says if you just get a large sum of money all at once, he said actually it's going to dwindle over time. You'll probably end up losing it. But the person who gathers little by little, and they put it back, and they save, and they make good financial decisions... He said, it will increase over time. But see, this is the opposite of what our flesh nature wants to do. Our flesh nature wants to go play the lotto, right? 400 and whatever million it is, you know, it gets over a billion. Man, even saved people start buying lotto tickets. But anyway, um, see, I got to clarify now. Because look, you can be saved and buy lotto tickets. I don't mean it's a bad, it doesn't mean it's a good idea. But, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. But... So that was a joke. But that's what the flesh wants to do. And spe- like the more immature you are, like when you're a kid, you know, especially your teenagers. I mean, I know my own kids. I drive by the, the big sign with the lotto thing like, oh, dad, you need to go buy a lotto ticket. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, I'm not going to buy a lotto ticket. But wealth gained hastily will dwindle. That's what we would prefer, right? A big windfall. Somebody die and leave us some money. You know, some great aunt, some great, you know, grandpa or something. That's how we would love for it to happen. The Bible says... Yeah, that's the lazy way. That's the flesh way. That's the path of the flesh. That's what the flesh wants. But wisdom knows that whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Why? Because you worked hard for it and you built habits and so you appreciate it. And it was hard to get, so it's hard to let go of. Okay, so this is, but this is talking about wealth, but this is about everything in life. This, this principle of true success in a person's life is not a windfall. True success is not a big break. Oh, I just need to be discovered or, oh, I just need to have that one big break or I just need that one big promotion. True success is gathered little by little, little choices, little habits, little decisions over time and you will look up one day and your basket will be full and your harvest will be there and you will be successful. It's best gained little by little. And the reason for that is because if it's gained little by little, then it will leave little by little. Okay, if it's gained quick, it can be lost quick. But if it's gathered little by little, there's an appreciation for it there. Of course, there's so many lessons here with our kids and, and how we give them stuff and, and how we help them uh, in that too. Now, if you are experiencing anything from destruction, devastation, hardship, problems, pain in your life, And we're talking about as a result of choices. Again, I I understand we have bad things happen that weren't our fault. Some are dealing with, you know, physical issues, problems that that wasn't their fault or the loss of a a close spouse or loved one or whatever. And that's very painful. But, and that's not necessarily their fault. That's not what we're talking about. But if you're experiencing pain, difficulty, destruction, heartache due to your choices, understand 
that most destruction and pain and difficulty we experience in this life are just simply the end result of a series of stacking choices. We made choices, and at first it didn't hurt, and we kept making, and we maybe experienced a little bit, but we kept going, and the pain increased, and we kept going, and then all of a sudden we can arrive at a place where we're experiencing tremendous difficulty that really could be tracked back decision by decision, choice by choice. And to me, this is the only way to view and see life. And I I don't really enjoy talking to people that don't see life this way. If I start talking to somebody and they're blaming everybody else around them, if everything else in their life is somebody else's fault, I just about give up. I mean, I'm like, look, if you're this old and still think that way, I I don't know how to help you. Like I, if you don't take responsibility for your choices and understand that like where I'm at in life is connected to the decisions I've made all along the way, I don't really know where to start to, to, to help you. And so most mature people, once you get to a certain age, you realize this. You understand this. How important our decisions are. Now, the good news about this is that if, that's, if you're experiencing something you don't like in your life, you can change it. Immediately, you can't, you can't remove the consequences immediately, but you can change directions immediately. You know, if, and like, for example, if you're struggling in your health, okay, and you go to the doctor and he says, well, here's what you need to do, and he gives you some steps to follow, you're not going to eliminate the problem immediately, but you can change directions immediately. And you can go, you can say to yourself, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, this can be the worst day. Right today, this can be the worst, and immediately it can just start getting better from here. And it might be a slow process, but I can start making decisions in that right direction. Some of you, that needs to be the case with your relationship with God. You came in today, you got problems, you got issues, you got marriage issues. You know, marriage is the same way. You go, well, my marriage is bad. We're struggling in our marriage. Well, today can be the worst day. And you can change directions and you can start improving it little by little from here. Is it going to turn around overnight? Probably not. But you can change your choices. That's what you have power over. You can change your choices. You can change your decisions. And you can improve your marriage little by little. You can gather little by little and improve it over time. And sometimes, you know, you talk to people and they say, well, I don't, I just, I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know how I got here. They look up and they're experiencing something. They go, I, just, I don't even know how we got here. And I think to myself, sure you do. Sure you do. Because it's how everyone gets everywhere in life. One choice at a time. One choice at a time. But see, a lot of times we just didn't realize how significant and costly those choices would be when you were making them. And that's... that's The sneakiness of this process, and that's the sneakiness of Satan, that's the craftiness of it. See, when he was talking to Eve, she had no, she had no, she did not have a full understanding of how costly her choice would be. And that's how it is most of the time in life when we're making bad choices. That's why we're making them. A lot of times, that's why we're making the bad choices. We don't realize how costly it's going to be. For example, you could be in a marriage where you've decided to work late every night. And you think, well, that's not that big a deal. Well, remember, consequences come very slowly. Results come very slowly. You might think, well, I'm just choosing to work late. It's not a big deal. You know, I'm a working man. It's what I do. And you're working late. Okay. 
Well, then when all of a sudden the big marriage problem is slapping you in the face, the problem is not that the problem was, was not the, the one big moment that just showed up and you had marriage problem. The problem was you were making small choices along the way of which you didn't realize the severity of the consequences. And this is how almost all bad decisions are. And it feels like when Satan gets involved, he tries to almost mask us from from the true consequences. He, he does what he does to Eve. He's like, no, that's not going to be what happened. That's not going to be the result of this. This isn't going to be that big a deal. And he goes through this whole process of lies. Oh, it's only going to hurt you. Oh, it's just every now and then. Oh, it's not. And you just soothe and you talk. And, but remember, you're in the middle making the choice. You're in the middle making the decision. No one can make you do it or not do it. But you're hearing information in your head and you're making a choice off of that information. And listen, those choices will have consequences. They may not be immediate, but they will have consequences. And it goes for good, too. It goes for good, too. Some of you are making really good decisions. You're turning your life around. You're turning your marriage around. You're, and it's a slow process. I, I talked to some of you. I know some of you that came in the church only just a couple years ago. And when you came in, you looked one way. And two years later, you look a totally different way because you've been making slow, incremental choices along the way, and it's paying dividends. It's not, it hasn't been a windfall, but it's paying dividends. And this is how choices work. What the Bible calls this process is the law of sowing and reaping. That's how the Bible explains this process. The Bible calls it sowing and reaping. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, God makes this statement. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. In other words, he names these, these things that are irrevocable, constant, and permanent on this earth, and they're going to they're gonna be there all the way until Jesus comes back and he recreates the new heaven and a new earth. And these are the things. Seed, time, and harvest is the first one he mentions. Now, of course, in this instance, he's talking about the, the physical act of seed, time, and harvest. You plant a seed, it's going to produce a harvest. You know, you put a kernel of corn in the ground, it's going to produce a stalk. You know, acorn falls, going to be an oak tree. That process Seed, time, and harvest. He said it's going to be there all the way until the earth is finished. Also, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. In other words, we'll have the, the seasons and all of that. But this idea of seed, time, and harvest, it's, it's going to be here. It's one of the immutable principles of living on this earth is when you sow a seed, there will be a result. It doesn't matter what it is. Last week I gave the example. If I take a sip of this water... There's going to be a result. It goes into my body. My body begins to absorb it. There are going to be effects later in the afternoon because of drinking it. It, it sets in process a domino effect. Every little decision, every for every reaction, there is a... Wait, no. For every action, there's a reaction. See, I knew the science stuck in there somewhere. Y'all know that. That's the case. It doesn't matter. Every decision you make, there's going to be a consequence. For every seed you sow, there will be a harvest. It might be small. It could be very, very, very small. But for every seed you sow, there will be a harvest. Don't forget that. Galatians 6, 9. 
Paul wrote this, do not be deceived. Now, anytime he starts a passage with that phrase, he's letting you know there is the potential to think wrongly about this. There's the potential that you might be deceived on this very issue. And, uh, and usually the reason he's saying that is because a lot of people actually are deceived on this issue. So he's telling you up front, listen, do not be deceived about this. Don't believe lies about this. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. How significant is this statement right here? Whatever a person sows, that what, that's what he's going to also reap. And he, and he says a couple things here. He says, number one, don't be deceived about that issue. So if you think differently than this, you're deceived. That's what he's saying. If you think you've gotten an unfair shake, if you think, well, I've sown good seeds, but I got a bad harvest. He said, you're deceived. And what actually would be saying is, God is being mocked then. That's the whole point of him saying God is not mocked. The whole point of him saying God is not mocked is that God oversees this process in our life and he is just. So if you think that you're sowing good seeds and getting a bad harvest, then God's not just. God's being mocked. And you're deceived on this issue. The very first two things that he told us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows is that what he's also going to reap. And let me say this to you. Actually, probably most of us are actually getting less than we deserve because of the mercy and grace of God. In other words, we're not actually experiencing the full harvest just because of the grace and mercy of God. It could be a lot worse, actually. But he said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. So first of all, we've got to get this thinking right in our mind if we're going to see this correctly. Number one, we need to choose to believe correctly and rightly and say, I'm not going to be deceived on this issue. And if ever I'm feeling sorry for myself, these are signs that you think you're getting unfair shake. If ever I'm feeling sorry for myself, I'm going to think differently. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not going to be deceived on this issue. God is not mocked. If I sow the right seeds, I'm going to get the right harvest. And if I think that I'm getting a bad harvest... Even though I've sown good seeds, I need maybe what needs to change is my thinking and my belief, and I need to get undeceived on this issue. And I can tell you that's the case with a lot of people, is that they have believed lies about this. You know why? Because Satan is in their ear, just like it was in Eve's ear, and he's saying, God's been unfair to you. God, you, you look at all you've done. You've done so many good things. You, you've helped people. You've made good. You go to church. You do. And look, and look at the way your life is turning out. Listen, if that's you, please understand, Satan is talking in your ear. And you're buying it hook, line, and sinker. And what you need to do is you need to reject that. And you say, hold on a minute. I'm not going to be deceived on this. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that what he's all, that's what he's also going to reap. So maybe what I need to do is I need to go to God and I need to repent and I need to ask God to help me begin sowing good and right seeds. See, the Bible says that every man will proclaim his own faithfulness. Every man, it is all the ways of a man, this is what Proverbs says, all the ways of man are right in his own eyes. But he said, God judges the heart. In other words, God knows everything. Look, if... I would, if I compared, like if I went to, I'd probably have to go all the way back to kindergarten. But if I went all the way back to kindergarten and I was in class again, I would look like Albert Einstein compared to those kids in that room. Because I'm comparing myself to kindergartners. I don't know, maybe I got to go back further than that. Preschool, maybe. But 
all the way back, I would look and I'd go, man, I know everything they don't know. Look how smart I am. Why? Because I'm comparing myself to a lower standard. And this is the same thing that happens in life. When we think we're so good and we're so holy and we've just sown good seeds and we've done everything right and, oh, man, I, I've done all the good things, and I, but yet I'm getting this bad harvest, that's because you're comparing yourself to a lower standard. You're not comparing yourself to God's standard of perfection and holiness. You're comparing yourself to a much lower standard than that. So this is why he says do not be deceived on this issue because he knows the tendency of mankind to to look at themselves and judge themselves fairly. This is the tendency of man. We judge ourselves lightly and we judge others harshly. I can see all your faults very clearly, very easily. I can point out every one of them. I can tell you everything you're doing wrong. Matter of fact, I could have an awful marriage and tell you how to fix yours. You ever have people do that? I can have no control of my kids, but I can tell you what's wrong with yours. We are so good at it. But we're not good at self-judging many times. We don't see our own flaws and our own faults. This is why he says, do not be deceived on this issue. God's not mocked. Just get that established in your mind. God is just. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will we also reap. You sow good, you're going to get good. You sow bad, you're going to get bad. You sow a little, you're going to get a little. You sow a lot, you're going to get a lot. This is how it works. Now, we're not talking about salvation, but even salvation has to do with this process. But that's another sermon because we sow faith. And we sow faith in what Christ did and we get that harvest. But we're not talking about... See, when you start getting off into this, people are like, oh, well, you're talking about works. And, and you're talking about, well, if I do bad, I'm going to get bad. If I do good, I'm going to get good. Yeah, not concerning salvation, but we're just talking about with earthly consequences and earthly results. That's going to happen. That's all through the Bible. So you might even still be saved, but you're getting some really bad consequences in your life because you're not sowing good seeds. Or the opposite, you're sowing really good seeds and you're getting a good harvest on that. None of us sow all good seeds all the time. None of us sow all bad seeds all the time. But whatever we're sowing, that's what we're going to reap. God is not mocked. That will be the case. Now, He says, verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So now he talks about the tendency of this process to take time. And this is that little by little part we were talking about earlier. But he said this process takes time. And there's another tendency, not only to be deceived, not only to think that God is not just and he's being mocked, but there's another tendency to grow weary in this process of sowing good seeds and thinking, well, it hasn't panned out yet. He said, well, for some of you that are in that place, you just haven't been sowing long enough and you need to not grow weary. You need to keep sowing in that direction and believe that God is just and believe that there's going to be a harvest on those good decisions. What some people do is they sow for a little while and they don't see the harvest they're looking for and then they give up and they go, well, I'm not, I, I tried doing this you know, the good way and, and making good decisions and I'm still getting the same results and they grow weary and they give up. But look at what he says. Do not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So you see this all goes back to a foundational belief about who do you think God is? Who do you believe God is? Do you believe God is good and just 
and we'll repay you. We'll make sure that you have a harvest on the good seeds that you've sown. Do you believe that? And if you do, you're not going to grow weary because you know God's working. You know God's working behind the scenes. Now, another principle about sowing and reaping that we need to understand is that for every seed, there's generally a natural harvest and there's a supernatural harvest. All right? And in most cases, both of those things that are, are at work. And let me explain what I, what I mean. Okay, if I go to the gym and I work out, those, those seeds that I'm sowing are going to produce a natural harvest. As far as I can tell, there's no supernatural harvest on that. It's just natural. Just natural results. But what about when I sow mercy into somebody else's life? Is there a natural consequence of that? Yeah. If, if you did something horrible and maybe you stole from me and I forgive you and I let that go and I show you mercy, is there a natural consequence on that? Maybe you might like me more. You might think better of me. You, might, you, know, you may show me mercy down the road one day. So there's a natural harvest on that. But sometimes you show mercy to people and you never get it back, from them at least. And so here's where the supernatural part comes in. This is what God promises he says, when you sow mercy, me, God, as the overseer of your harvest, is going to make sure that you get mercy back in your life as a harvest. It might not come from that person that you showed mercy to. And this is how you know it's supernatural. How is it that I could show mercy to somebody? I'm just pointing at Sullivan because he's right here on the front row and he's easy to look at. Most of y'all, y'all are blind and I can't see you from the lights. But if I show mercy to Sullivan... And he doesn't ever repay that to me. What is the connection? What is the possible connection between me somewhere down the road receiving mercy from someone else? There's no connection between. That's not possible. Like there's no natural connection between that. I can't show mercy to Sullivan and then just hope that somewhere down the road that's going to somehow make its way back to me from another person unless God is overseeing this process in our life. And when I sow mercy to Sullivan, he makes sure you sowed that seed, you're going to reap it back down the road. And this is what the scripture promises us, is that the harvest we get back in our life is not just natural. Actually, the best part of the harvest that you get is supernatural. Let me show you what I mean. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus is explaining this process, and he says, give, and it will be given to you. Well, he can't be talking about natural Because there's no guarantee that when you give to someone else, they're going to give back to you. And you're not even supposed to expect that. I mean, all parents know this and understand this. When you give, it may not come back to you from your kids. When you give a gift to someone, it may not come back to you. There's lots of people in our life that we give and it never comes back to us. So so he's not talking about a natural process. He's talking about a supernatural process. And this is his promise to you. He says, give and it'll come back to you. Here's here's really what he's saying. Give, and I'll make sure that it comes back to you. As the overseer of your harvest, I will make sure, because I'm not mocked and I'm just, and I will make sure that every person gets gets the harvest that they deserve for the seeds that they've sown. And notice how it comes back. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It It sounds like Jesus knew about... Like Pepsi Cola or something, where you shake it up, 
and then you pop the top, and what happens? It all bursts out. I don't know. They didn't have Coke back then. I'm not sure what he was thinking about. But he said, it'll come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. How can he promise that? He can't promise it if he's talking about naturally. If I give to you, there's no guarantee you're going to give back to me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. But what he's saying is, whatever you give, I can, God's saying, I promise you, I will make sure that it comes back to you in this way. If you, when you sow a seed, it's coming back to you. Now, this is, we could get all excited about this and think about all the good ways, but guess what? This applies in a negative way, too. It goes both ways. When you sow seeds in secret that you think nobody's knowing about, guess what? It's coming back, and it's going to come back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This is why so many times I see people doing little things, and, and, and as a pastor, I, come, I just see this stuff at, you know, through the years. People doing something in secret, they think it's not a big deal. It's not really having that big of an effect. It's having little consequences, and all of a sudden, their life implodes. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over because they've been sowing seeds in secret for years that seemingly had no consequences but this process was at work why the delay I think one of the reasons for the delay is that God gives us time to repent that's just how good he is he gives us time to repent because I think God's I think God's desire is for us to repent so that as much as possible to wipe out the that negative harvest but when we persist in that direction he said look it's coming back, good measure, pressed down, shaking together. How many people have you seen in your life? Politicians, people in power, movie stars, pastors. How many times have you seen the person's going along, their public life looks beautiful, looks pristine, they're, they're, they're skyrocketing in fame and influence and prestige, and then all of a sudden, the rug gets jerked out from under them, and you find out all this stuff that's been going on in their personal life, and their life is destroyed in an instant. Yeah, but it wasn't destroyed in an instant. It's just that the pressed down, shaken together, and running over hit all at once. But the seeds had been being sown all along, and that harvest was growing, 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 and then it was delivered to them all at once. This is your harvest. That's how it works. But it works in a good way, too. You see people that are obscure, nobody knows who they are, you think nothing, you know, nothing's happening in life, and then all of, all of a sudden they become an overnight success, and you think, oh, this person just, yeah, but there had been a lot of seeds being sown that nobody knew about, a lot of good seeds that had been being sown. So here's what you need to know. God is faithful to oversee your harvest. You never, ever, ever, ever need to look to man to fulfill your harvest. You never, ever, ever need to put demands on a human being to fulfill their harvest. Even your spouse. Even your spouse. Well, I did this for you. You know, you ought to do this for me. Listen, sow the seeds. Sow the right seeds your own self. Sow the correct seeds and believe God to oversee your harvest. Believe God to oversee your harvest. You, you, you know, you see this in so many areas of life. This is kind of a funny one that happens at the church a lot, Especially new kids, you know, they'll go back into youth and I hear they come back to their parents and like, well, you know, uh, or even adults. I still hear adults say it in the church. Well, you know, I've been here for a while and nobody's friendly to me. I don't have any friends. Nobody talks. And it's like they don't get the irony of the statement. Like the kids especially, they go back into youth and they're like, well, no one talks to me. It's like, well, people would be talking to you if you were talking to others. Like you're doing the same thing you're accusing them of doing. 
Like you're sowing those seeds. And you know the scripture says that. It says uh, a man who has many friends has shown himself friendly. So sometimes it's funny. We, again, we can see it from our own self and we think, well, you know, uh, I go back in the youth and, and nobody's talking to me. I, you know, that's a thing we hear with the kids a lot. You know, I don't, I don't have any friends. Yeah, but you're doing the same thing they're doing. So how about you sow those seeds? How about you sow those seeds of being friendly? How about you be the one to go talk to people that no one else is talking to? How about you be what you want others to be? In other words, how about you sow those seeds and watch the harvest that comes in as a result? But these are two different mindsets. And it goes into adulthood too. These are two different mindsets. Somebody who blames everybody else or understands how powerful their choices are and realize I can sow my own seeds and get the harvest that I want. That's a big difference. And I think from a young age, we should be training our kids in this. When our kids complain about the way somebody else is doing, acting, you know, the, the shake that they're getting, they, we need to be brought back to this and go, wait a minute, are you doing the same thing that you're upset they're doing? How about you go be that to somebody? How about you go in, engage in conversation and you be a friend to somebody. We could go down the list with, with everything in our life. This is how it works. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul was talking about finances. We know this works in finances too. Uh, but this applies to everything. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He said the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He was talking about an offering. He was talking about giving. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And I mean, what, the reason he's telling them this is to let them know you're in charge of the harvest. You're in charge. You want to reap a little? Sow a little. You want to reap a lot? Sow a lot. And apply it to anything in your life. You want a lot of friends? Be really friendly. Here's a big one. You want to receive a lot of mercy from God? Be very merciful to others. Be very, very, very merciful to others. Especially if you need a lot of mercy. Especially if you're one that needs a lot of mercy, you better be showing a lot of mercy. So Paul made it clear, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here's another one that we don't always, we haven't always seen this scripture in the light of sowing and reaping, but I believe it applies to sowing and reaping. Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule. Jesus said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, most of the time we interpret that, we think of it just as a guiding principle. Well, if, how would you want to be treated? Well, then you do that, right? And that's true. But really, this also applies to sowing and reaping. Whatever you wish others would do to you, in other words, whatever kind of harvest you want, you do that to others because that's the kind of harvest you're going to get. In other words, however you treat other people with the standard of judgment you use, kindness, mercy, generosity, he said it's coming back because of this principle of sowing and reaping. You know, I remember, I've, I've told this story a long time ago, but I remember when Jen and I were first married, and we were married for five years before we had any children, and our first baby was on the way. And there was a, you know, when you're, getting, when you're getting ready for a baby, there's all these kinds of expensive equipment, you know, that you need and things and swings and beds and all kinds of stuff you need. And I remember there was this one piece of equipment that we, that we needed, we wanted, we were kind of saving up for. 
and we were getting ready for the baby, you know. And in our church, there was a, a young lady who had gotten pregnant outside of wedlock. And she didn't have a lot of help and support. And she was struggling, you know, and she was trying to make changes in her life. And, and Jen and I, and so it's through conversation, somehow it came up, I guess between her and Jen, that she was needing that exact same piece of equipment, the one that we were saving for and wanted. And so one day me and Jen were talking and we said, do we really believe this principle of sowing and reaping or not? You know, if it's as sure as the Bible says, if it's as rock solid as the Bible says, then we should be able to take our money and buy this piece of equipment and sow it into her and believe God to take care of us. And so almost as an experiment, (laughs) we did it. We bought this piece of equipment for her, several hundred dollars. We bought it, gave it to her. She was happy. She was blessed. And the amazing thing that happened was right before McKinley was born, there was someone in our family that had that exact same piece of equipment, and they gave it to us, and we used it the whole time that he was a, that he was a baby. So the very thing that we needed was provided. Same brand, same model, same everything. It's, you can't make this stuff up. It's not possible. But we believed it, so we put it into action. God said that he would not be mocked. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. How many of you know that this church building is paid off? All this whole property is paid off, debt-free. You know how that happened? Doing it for other people. That's, that's what our church has done since the very beginning. When we would find out about other people's needs, other missionaries, other churches, I can't tell you how many times our church has sown into other people that were trying to pay off debt, trying to pay off buildings, try to build buildings, missionaries around the world. We did that when we had our own needs that we needed to take care of here. And so when I say we, I mean we, everyone that's given, we would do that for other people. Well, how many of you know God took care of us through this principle of, of sowing and reaping? And it translates to every area of life. Don't sit around and say, well, you know, my relationship with God is so dry and I I don't know how to get, you know, I don't know how to get close to God. I just don't feel close to God. Listen to me. Start sowing the right seeds and you'll get the harvest because God's not mocked. Don't sit around and say, well, my marriage is just so bad. My marriage isn't like other people. I wish I had the marriage of other people. Listen, start sowing the right seeds and you'll get the harvest. God is not mocked. I like to say it this way. I believe you can sow yourself out of any situation. You can sow yourself out of any situation. You can begin sowing the right seeds and slowly but surely get out of any situation because God is faithful and God is not mocked. You can change any situation in your life today through sowing and reaping. It's a law. It's a principle. And don't be like one of those farmers that look out over the land and complain that there's no harvest and you hadn't sown any seeds. Or don't look out and complain that you got weeds growing in the field when that's exactly what you sowed out there. You get what you sow. You reap what you sow. And if, if you don't believe that or you don't like that or you think, well, I don't know if that's working exactly that way in my life, what I would challenge you to do is go to God as the overseer of your harvest and talk to him about it. Because he'll show you. He'll help you. 
He'll help you see. He'll help you understand where the, the problem is, where the issues are. Go to God. Don't get bitter at man. Ne- never blame man. Like if you're in a job and you think somebody's got promoted over you, you think somebody's overlooking you, never, ever, ever blame them. Because I can tell you right now from the, the way the kingdom of God works is that when you've qualified for promotion with God, no man can stop it. Period. I don't care if he's got to move you out of that job, move you halfway across the country. Once you've qualified with God, there's nothing man can do. They can hate your guts. When you qualify with God, there's nothing man can do. So never blame man. Man's never your problem. You go to God and you say, God, this isn't happening and I feel like I've sown these seeds. What's going on? Spend time with God. He'll show you where, where the issue is. He'll reveal your heart to you. He'll reveal your life to you. <laughs> 